Nancy, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Hello and welcome to another great episode of Ready for Close-Up. My name is Andy and I'm here again with my fellow movie geek Sam. Hi Sam. Hi Andy. And today we have a very special episode. We have to celebrate, first of all, we're together today to record this episode. So Live on stage. Exactly. And it's our 18th episode and our one year anniversary of Ready for Close-Up, the podcast. So we have a lot to celebrate. Yes, so that means we're turning 18 and we're coming out. Yes, coming out and being proud in the month of June. And since it's June, the Pride Month, we will talk about queer cinema in general, how LGBTQIA plus content within movies has changed over time and therefore how this representation reflected also social and political change and how queer characters in movies and TV have evolved over time from being maybe more token cardboard characters that were mostly sidekicks to truly fully-fledged movie characters with their own stories. Sam, are you ready for close-up? Shall we dive in? Well, I'm ready, but I want to say cheers to that. First of all, congratulations on... A fun year of podcasting. Thank you for being part. So proud of us. Thank you, Sam. And I had a first question to you, actually. What was the first gay movie you saw? I guess back then they were still called gay movies. And how did it affect you? I think it's a good question. I think there are movies that are gay without being particularly gay. I think there has a lot to do also with queer coding, with camp that appeals to a gay aesthetic and then I think therefore is also appreciated by gay audiences and I think one of those movies for example is Death Becomes Her mm. I would say it's a movie that I don't want to generalize but I would say that gay people a gay audience appreciates heavily through because of the gay factor of it the camp factor of it the overacting of Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn so I'll probably say this is maybe a first experience with that if you're talking more about gay themed movies where a gay character is front and center and he is, um, there's a coming out story, uh, uh, something like this. I would say it's probably the German movie Summerstorm hmm. from the early 2000s. A very nice, cute little movie about a group of young people who go on a summer camp. They're in a rowing team and the main character discovers then over the course of the summer camp that he has feelings for his best friends and it's a very touching coming out story and I think this was probably one of the first movies I, I watched and realized okay this is a gay story told. You're so young and that makes me feel so much <laughs> older because the first gay theme movie apart from the, the camp ones that you saw was my own private Idaho. Oh. And I remember I had the poster up in my room for years because it was kind of the first ever experience I had with gay characters, Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix as male prostitutes, I guess, getting to know each other and at least River Phoenix falling in love. It's a little bit less clear with Keanu Reeves' character. He's a bit more ambiguous. And then this weird aesthetic of Gus Van Sant, this narcolepsy that is shown in very aesthetic pictures. And then those two gorgeous guys 
somewhat falling in love, but then still losing each other again and again. I was totally impressed and I was stunned when I first saw it, I guess recorded it one night and I went back to it because for me for the longest time it was the only movie with gay characters that I could, could see. Um, that I knew about. And then it took a long time before I saw more gay-themed cinema. It was... Mm. And that was a movie from the early 90s, you have to imagine. That maybe brings us to the issue of, of change over time. Because for me, for a long time, that was the only movie I would see. But today we're, of course, in a very different situation. So how do you feel LGBTQ plus content has changed over time? I think it has changed dramatically and drastically i think it's really a reflection also of social change of social political change i think in the weimar cinema if we go really back in cinema history i think there were movies made that also showed lesbian topics i think there is the really famous uh, mädchen in uniform from the 1920s a german movie which i think their movies were able to show also these topics i think also pre-code hollywood which somehow reflect a little bit more liberal times and of course this changed and i think gay characters i think were very often coded so it means they were not openly labeled as gay they wouldn't express their own feelings i think there there was a lot of code going on where you would realize as a gay audience okay this character is gay through the way he maybe dresses the way he behaves the way he talks the way he is framed as as a bachelor for example in 1930s com romantic comedies screwball comedies and they were very often sidekicks so they were just the funny gay friend the funny gay neighbor or um, they were villains so I think Homosexuality was very often villainized, it was othered, so it was not the norm. So someone who's devious, who's, who's a murderer, also has to be homosexual. So I think there were also a lot of representation of that. And I think over time, this has changed tremendously into a more positive note also. Gays or homosexual characters are not only othered anymore, they're really normalized in the sense that they have their own feelings, they have their own stories to tell. I think in the 90s and also up until the 2000s, there were a lot of these coming of age, coming out out stories where mostly young characters realize how they they feel how that they are homosexual and they were coming out and these movies were very often very touching very honest i think they had beautiful soundtracks i think summer storm is one or the swedish movie fucking a mall which revolves around two lesbian girls or a beautiful thing which i think is also a modern classic in these coming out movies yeah i think it, it has changed tremendously all variations of of love of being are represented now i think also almodovar movies have a lot of trans people represented and also not only cinema movies but also tv has contributed a lot to representation of gay characters and how this is perceived and i think we will talk about this later on as well mm -hmm. And I feel that in this gap between, you know, the, the 30s and 40s that you mentioned and the jump you made to the 90s, I think that is probably the essential part of also the, the social and political change of the 50s and the 60s. From the youth movements, the protest movements, where I think for the first time a gay liberation movement, starting with Stonewall in 60s, really evolved. And if we're talking about Pride Month, obviously, that was kind of the, the ultimate starting point, I guess. The Stonewall riots in, in the late 60s and then the starting of more uh, representation of LGBTQ characters in cinema. First of all, like you mentioned, the villains, also the, the kind of the 
campy, devious or delinquent characters that you had in the problem movies of the 50s and the kind of the weird comedy action thrillers of the 1970s um, where you had you know, gay characters in Bond, where you had gay characters in action heist movies suddenly and they would be totally cliche and highly problematic from today's perspective. There would be mass murders or look at Silence of the Lambs. There exactly. would be also really problematic representations that were also protested against. And I remember I used to work for a gay and lesbian film festival here in Bern for a number of years. And you could tell that there was this change. That was starting in the early 2000s for um, about seven years. And you could tell that slowly but surely the movies that were coming from all around the world that would normally only be shown at, at film festivals rather than in mainstream cinemas they started to become more popular and sometimes they would be then later on this double use at festivals and then many of them would then also become popularized. And I think the 90s, late 90s and 2000s were really essential to that. Also paired, I guess, with the, the changes of gay marriage, more laws that would come into many European countries, the US, Canada, that would also kind of go together with a political fight for liberation, for representation. And I think you see that reflected in cinema, but it's interesting, it's hard to tell where it came from, whether, you know, it's a kind of a chicken and egg question. Mm. Was it LGBTQ cinema that paved the way for the political change because of the characters you saw in, in movies and then also, of course, in TV? Or was it rather kind of accompanied this political social movement by different movies and, and, and characters and productions? But I guess that begs the question, what were some favorite movies we had along the way in those years? We mentioned a couple, but I also thought we would talk about some favorite movies and I guess these days also TV and streaming productions. So what was your first pick? It's Carol by the gay director Todd Haynes and starring Kate Blanchett, Kate Mara and Sarah Paulson. Carol is really a gorgeously filmed, gently groundbreaking and expertly acted film that will softly but surely break your heart. It's based on a novel by Patricia Highsmith and Carol tells the story of a young photographer played by Kate Mara who falls in love with an elderly woman played by Kate Blanchett. In the 1950s New York, gestures, looks and touches carry enormous weight in this movie and the characters' inner thoughts and feelings are acted out expertly by Mara and Blanchett. It's really visually a beautiful, beautiful film. It's a lot of mirrors, a lot of viewing through windows. I think that also reflects somehow the inner machinations and, and workings of, of the characters. There's a, a beautiful scene where they are basically eating lunch in a restaurant and the tension is so palpable between these two women. It's it's really a beautiful film. It's drenched in this particular melancholy as well that feels both universal, but it's also extremely poignant for a queer sensitivity. And I think if you haven't seen it already, go and watch Carol. Beautiful pick, I agree. Everything comes full circle. And when it happens, I want you to imagine me there to greet you. gave each other the most breathtaking of gifts. I will not negotiate anymore. I want it, and I will not deny it. 
podziwu. My first pick was uh, Brokeback Mountain, 2005, the movie that broke new ground when it won Oscars for director Ang Lee, the screenplay and the soundtrack. And it also broke everyone's heart with its raw and unrelenting portrayal of two cowboys, played by Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger, who fall in love. Ennis and Jack, as they're called, both have their own lives to live and have to keep their bond secret for many years. And the adaptation of Annie Proulx's 1997 short story of the same name, I think is perfectly judged. It's quiet, emotional, has this Americana vista, like a Western, and it's pitch perfectly portrayed by Gyllenhaal and Ledger. And, and I remember being absolutely shattered after the film and choked off for a long time afterwards. And I think it wasn't even that it was the, a very daring first mainstream film that tackled gay love in a kind of white male western context but I thought it was also that Lee managed to dig so deep into this well of so many impossible loves that we have never heard about and I felt that was the tragedy of it they were still being seen as impossible loves wrong or forbidden and many of them have been forgotten that this one came out what? we could have had a good life together but you didn't want it Ennis <laughs> God! You don't know nothing about it. I wish I knew how to quit you. Sometimes I miss you so much I can hardly stand it. My next pick is Paris is Burning from 1990, directed by Jenny Livingston and starring Pepper LaBeja, Willie Ninja, Venus Extravaganza and Octavia <laughs> St. Laurent. This documentary chronicles the lives of the New York drag scene in the 1980s and its balls in voguing contests. It's an underground scene where queer and racial minorities flock together to live out a glamorous fantasy life which they are denied in real life by society. The touching interviews show the dreams and aspirations of a queer generation that was sadly wiped out by the AIDS pandemic. And this passionately empathetic documentary serves as an important reminder, but it is as much about class, race and sexual orientation as it is about love, community and dreams. There is no understanding in, in entertainment shows like RuPaul's Drag Race or series like Pose without having seen this film. And I think when I saw this documentary a while ago, it was really a huge eye-opener for me because I think this underground drag gay scene from the 1980s was so highly influential about everything that we now these days perceive as gay canon, catchphrases, the way gay aesthetics work. I think all this drag race, RuPaul world, I think it's all influenced by this and I think it's a great time document and it's also highly entertaining to watch. You have space to do all that you Tend to. This movie is about the ball circuit. A competition amongst gay people under one roof. It's like crossing into the looking glass. A house, yes. their families, kids from broken homes, or no home at all. My name is Angie Extravaganza, and I am the mother of the house of Extravaganza. I'm Willie Ninja, the mother of the house of Ninja. Ninjas hit hard, they hit fast. We come out to assassinate. I am Pepper LaBeja, the legendary mother of the house of LaBeja. And I've been around for two decades. Raining, that is. 
My next pick was The Celluloid Closet, the 1995 documentary by Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman. This is the classic award-winning documentary on being closeted in classic Hollywood. Epstein and Friedman, who also made an Oscar-winning documentary on gay icon Harvey Milk, managed to interview many stars and directors of an incredible number of classic films to talk about the codes, the secrets, the inhibitions queer filmmakers had to face until at least the 1960s. But how still, if you look and listen closely, Mostly LGBTQ plus Hollywood was there, not out and proud yet, but on its way there and finding ways to express themselves. And I think the documentary perfectly illustrates with dozens of scenes and insightful commentaries by everyone involved. I think that to me was the perfect starter into queer cinema. Sony Pictures Classics is proud to present from Academy Award winning filmmakers Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman, <laughs> all the stars. The stories. What position have we, I wonder, for a boy of such varied gifts? The secrets. All right, you want to know. I shall tell you. That take a century of entertainment out of the closet. You queer. Hell no, sir. Go right ahead, boys. Don't mind me. And onto the silver screen. Men. Oh, you don't have to worry about that. We wouldn't be caught dead with men. The celluloid closet. Harry Beast. Amen. My next pick is Todo Sobre Mi Madre from 1999 by Pedro Almodovar. While basically all of Almodovar's film oeuvre is a queer canon in itself, I chose this particular film as it shows deeply touching and moving characters that were rarely seen elsewhere at the time. The story revolves around a young writer Esteban who wants to discover the identity of his second mother, a trans woman, and this identity has been carefully concealed by his mother Manuela. While not only the movie title is referencing another gay classic, namely All About Eve, starring Betty Davis. It also draws thematically parallels to this 1950s classic. There are strong female characters in it, and in this iteration there are also trans characters which are front and center, and they're all there in this very touching and melodramatic story that feels both human and serious, and is probably a little less shrill and lurid than most of his other colorful films. So this is really one of the great Almodovar movies, but of course, go and watch them all. No la tiene lo peor de un hombre, y lo peor de una mujer. Siempre soñé tener un hijo. Tú lo sabes. Hace 17 años hice este mismo trayecto. Traía a Esteban dentro de mí. Entonces huía de su padre. Y ahora voy en su busca. Que cuesta mucho ser auténtica, señora. Y en estas cosas no hay que ser rácana. Porque una es más auténtica. Cuanto más se parece a lo que ha soñado de sí misma. My next pick is Victor Victoria, the 1982 film by Blake Edwards starring Julie Andrews, James Garner, Leslie Ann Warren and Robert Preston. And this was one of my first encounters with gay characters during my childhood. And I love the flamboyant comedic style and of course Julie Andrews' iconic, another iconic performance. 
immediately. As impoverished singer Victoria, she is picked up from the street by Toddy, an elderly gay performer who sees huge potential of selling Victoria off as Victor, an Eastern European count who performs as a woman. Blake Edwards, who normally never convinces me with his Clouseau comedies, reaches perfect balance between the comedic, the heartfelt and the downright daring. A gay musical in the early 80s, when news of AIDS was already hitting the street and in which a big Hollywood movement evoked pride in being out, in being yourself. I'm not even sure they knew what they were making and that it would be so significant to young kids like me at the time. What the hell was that? B flat. It will work. Oh, Toddy, it will you not. you listen to me and do exactly as I say, in six weeks you'll be the toast of Paris and we will both be very rich. Ladies and gentlemen, the nightclub is proud to present one of the great entertainers of our time. The one and only Victor. Victoria. Oh, baby, won't you play me the jazz hot maybe and don't ever My next pick is The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant by Rainer Werner Fassbinder from 1972, starring Margaret Carstensen, Hannah Schigula, Irm Hermann and Eva Mattes. Another gay director with a feverish output of movies, The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant is probably one of Rainer Werner Fassbinder's most stylized and rigid chamber dramas. Set almost entirely in the apartment of famous fashion designer Petra von Kant, who falls in love possessively with a young Young model, the film, which is based on a play by Fassbinder himself, never really hides its theatrical background and artifice. And while one can argue that it's not necessarily a movie about homosexuality itself, the film offers thoughts and insights in deeply human desires and power plays. With Fox and his friends, in German Faustrecht der Freiheit, Fassbinder would later create a gay variation of the Petra von Kant topics. I picked Fassbinder and this movie in particular because because I think he remains a fascinating director whose queerness and sharp observation elevated German movies for a long time and he created many intriguing films that resonate to this day. Guten Abend, Frau von Kant. Ich habe ein paar Kleinigkeiten bereit. Marlene, den Lunch. Ja. Da sind Sie also. Ja, da bin ich also. <lacht> Gefällt Ihnen in Deutschland? Ach, ich bin doch nur fünf Jahre weg gewesen. Ja, es gefällt mir gut. Es hat sich wenig verändert. In Deutschland, da sind die Dinge, wie sie sind. Da kann man nichts machen. Erzählen Sie von sich? Von mir? Da ist nicht viel zu erzählen. Oh doch. Was Sie denken oder was Sie träumen. My next pick is Call Me By Your Name the 2017 movie by Luca Guadagnino, starring Timothée Chalamet, Armie Hammer and Michael Stuhlberg. 
the love story that swept so many off their feet in 2017 and led to long queues and repeat viewings among people of all gender and sexual orientation. Call By Your Name tells a simple love story of how young Elio, a music student in northern Italy of the 1980s, falls in love with Oliver, the academic summer house guest of his intellectual parents. What starts as a slow burner and shows the contradictory feelings of falling in love in all its shades and colors turns into a heartbreaker of an experience. Held in realistic but dazzling imagery and underlaid by anything from Bach to Sufjan Stevens, Guadagnino has come up with a deeply moving tale in which everyone can somehow recognize true emotion, both new and raw, broken, and still not hopeless. To me, an instant classic. Oh, to see without my eyes The first time that you give Is there anything you don't know? Boundless by the time I cry You only knew how little I know about the things that matter. Build your walls around What things that matter? White noise, what an awful sound You know what things. Rolling by rolling you saying what I think you're saying? shouldn't have said anything. And Just pretend you never did. <laughs> Nature has cunning ways of finding our weakest spot. My next pick is God's Own Country from 2017 by Francis Lee. Many gay-themed movies take place in urban environments as a natural habitat for queer people. God's Own Country is in that respect quite exceptional as it shows gay love in a rural setting in Yorkshire, where stubborn young farmer Johnny, played by Josh O'Connor, falls reluctantly in love with a Romanian migrant worker, played by Alex Secariano. It's a nuanced film with a refreshingly frank treatment of gay sexuality, naturalistic metaphors and steering and strong performances by the two male leads. It's the less polished, rougher British brother of Brokeback Mountain, but packs a similar punch. It's beautiful here, but lonely, you know? My final movie pick is Milk, the 2008 biopic by Gus Van Sant, starring Sean Penn, Emil Hirsch, Josh Brolin, James Franco, Diego Luna and Alison Pill. The biopic of San Francisco gay activist and first elected openly gay official Harvey Milk, starring an incredible Sean Penn, is based on a meaty documentary book and film The Mayor of Castro Street by Randy Schultz. And Milk manages not only to perfectly recreate the times of Harvey Milk, 
how San Francisco became the queer city it is, but it's also intimately personal, riveting portrait of a man haunted by his fear of being assassinated and still growing stronger every day. His final death at the hands of a Christian conservative co-supervisor is shown as the spark that finally lights the beacon of hope of Milk's legacy. Through all the hate, the riots, the despair, came the liberation that we see as self-evident today. And Gus Van Sant perfectly timed his biopic and the Oscar wins for pen and screenwriter Justin Lance Black, who held an incredibly mesmerizing hope speech at the Academy Awards, came at a turning point of LGBTQ plus civil rights issues in the US. And I still go and buy souvenirs at Harvey's former photo store whenever I'm in San Francisco. And I'm not only a little moved by how far we've come. You're not like most homosexuals, I honor. Do you know a lot of homosexuals, Dan? Harvey Milk will be stabbed and have a night of horror. Call the police. They probably wrote it. You have an issue. It's more than an issue. This is our lives we're fighting for. You get the first bullet the minute you stand at the microphone. You don't have to go after no matter how hard you try, you can never erase those words. That is what America is. I want you to know I'm proud of you. Without hope, life is not worth living. You've got to give them hope. You've got to give them hope. So these were a few suggestions of our favorite queer themed movie picks. But of course, this is in no way comprehensive as a guide, because I think the field itself is so wide that we really could just make a very broad and superficial selection, I would say. But nonetheless, I think if we look at the movies that we presented just now, I think you can really tell that we've come quite a long way in terms of not only how queer stories are told, but also how they are perceived. And I think, oh, as you mentioned it earlier, Sam, that many queer-themed movies, they've made a way from festivals and specific genres over into the mainstream. And I think Call Me By Your Name is an excellent example for that, but also Milk, which was a huge Oscar, so a critical and a commercial success. Representation matters. And I think it's not just the stories that are told on film about characters, but also the people who play them in recent times, we've seen also more actors coming out as gay. I think this is a process that already started 20, 30 years ago. But also, I think in recent years, on TV shows like Pose or Orange is the New Black, we've seen trans actors who take center stage. And I think Pose is quite an ex excellent example for this, because it's a TV show that, similar to Paris is Burning, is really set in this 1980s ballroom scene, where actually a lot of queer people of color were the driving force and what's the beautiful thing in Pose is that they actually took queer people of color to play these characters so they we have a huge 
cast of trans people in this TV show and I think this is also quite a trailblazer. And mentioning Pose, I think it also reminds me that of course today LGBTQ plus representation doesn't only happen at the cinema. I think what's been one of the most important steps is that the streaming services, starting with HBO already in the 1990s and then taken over by British television, ITV and Channel 4, but also of course today Netflix and other streaming services, they all have kind of their flagship LGBTQ production. You mentioned Pose being one of Netflix's great productions of the last few years. I just recently saw Channel 4's 8-era miniseries It's a Sin, which was absolutely mind-blowingly excellent in my view, and has put together almost all these factors that we mentioned now. Representation not only of gay characters, but also of course of gay characters of color going through the 8-era, so kind of looking backwards, but also reflecting on the present day, showing a pandemic back then and kind of the, the prejudice people faced at the time and somehow this seems eerily reflective of our time as well and even though lgbtq characters have become much more widely represented of course it talks of other issues that are still quite relevant today and i think that's where the gold is buried today even though there are still great movies like god's own country calling by your name that reach wide audiences in the cinema i think a much wider audience today is reached by netflix by hulu by television channels that daringly put out these stories that are also reaching an older audience, I think, who have lived through the, the, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and who now finally see these stories told. Yeah, and I think it also serves as a, as a reminder. It's also history in a way, history retold, history made visible so that also younger generations can realize what happened back then from a queer perspective. So I think that's also something valuable. I think we also move forward in the sense that we can also have gay characters quite matter-of-factly. So it's not something that gay characters are not always defined by their queerness. So that's just a part of the character in the movie, in the, in the TV show. And I think this is also something that is increasingly more shown that it's, it's becoming more normal and we can go beyond the maybe classic gay-themed trope of coming out, realizing one is other. I'm not saying we're past this, because I think these stories still need to be retold for every generation, but I think that we can also move beyond that, that we can also... There can also be a gay action hero. There can also be a trans police officer. I don't know. I think that really that these are stories that are told and we keep on evolving there. I feel ambiguous about this because in a way we're past this in, a, in, in Western cinema. You know, us growing up, I think for us the most noticeable thing was gay side characters on German television or on American television. That would be a big deal, but they would be mostly kind of troubled characters. Characters obviously who had to, you know, keep it a secret and this would always be the narrative. And I think we've come a long, long way talking about these productions that we have today. But I think the issue of coming out in other cultural contexts still has so much to tell. There are still so mm. many stories. And I think last time we talked about its German-Iranian production, Futur mm -hmm. 3, which talks about immigrant 
cultures that kind of clash. I also think, of course, of all the authoritarian governments and contexts from Chechnya over Russia to Hungary, China, and many others, where there's so much to tell still, where where we haven't even reached an iota of that progress yet. And where I think festivals and uh, movies and TV productions, documentaries, reports will still be so relevant. So I think that's where really the, the narrative core lies for the future. And at the same time, it's nice to see what you said before, that we kind of matter-of-factly have characters that are LGBTQ that are now part of mainstream cinema. But I think there is still so much to do. So you would also say then that queer cinema has a political mission in that sense, that it's still there to educate people, it's still there to question people as well or to to show. I think it's quite an interesting discussion there because I think it's, yeah, queerness has always, or LGBTQ cinema has always been political. I think no matter how pretty the movie was, I think there's always a statement behind there. And I think it always, as you said, it's still a punch in different parts of the world. I think, yeah, there is still that aspect. And remember the discussions we had about 20 years ago when I started working at the Gay and Lesbian Film Festival. We would also discuss, you know, is it still necessary? Aren't these stories already told on television and in cinema? And you always say, well, in a way they are. There is a part of that. There is that every once in a while gay movie and I think now there's many more but I think there are still stories that get lost that would not be told would it not be for committed politically active people getting together and saying we want to show this movie from Uganda we want to show this uh, this movie from Russia we want to show these different perspectives where somehow this comfort can set in that you can just say well you know it's not necessary anymore we don't need that anymore because we we've reached equality we've reached acceptance And I think many queer activists would also say, well, culturally, we don't want to reach acceptance and equality. We want to stick out because it's a specific culture. And if we mentioned ballroom culture a couple of times, now, in a way, ballroom culture is being absorbed thanks to RuPaul's Drag Race into common day language by, Mm. I think, even non-queer people, other generations. And I think that will always be an eternal struggle. Should it be something that sticks out, that, that hurts, that is somehow not the norm or should it be the fight to be accepted and and normal and married and settled and not sticking out anymore or should it just be the opposite should it be the sting in society's flesh to say well it's not all just the norm it's both valid And I think we see both things. I think there was a year ago or two years ago, this Georgian movie, And Then We Danced, about also a gay love story about a traditional Georgian dancer. There were protests in Georgia when this movie came out. And I think the director and the actors, they were were shamed publicly. And I think there there is still this factor there where a queer movie can stir social normality in that sense or challenge heteronormativity I would say there so I think but at the same time we have this very influential maybe softer more mainstream queer cinema let's call it this but also TV where where as it blends into into mainstream culture so I think there will always be both things there will always be these more social activist movies that really make a comment on the state of affairs be it in Germany be it in Georgia be it in Uganda and there will always be this very crowd-pleasing 
romantic love stories like Call Me By Your Name that are reaching a lot of people on a lot of different levels, but at the core still a queer love story. That's also the beauty of it, I think. Sometimes it's just a matter of the segment of society that such movies or productions can reach. I'm thinking of um, Queer Eye, the Netflix kind of new version of a show that already existed in the 1990s, where they consciously went into kind of redneckish areas of the US to confront them with the five gay guys that would make them over. Or I'm thinking of a Swiss production called Mario that went into the football professional sports realm of society that is still potentially more homophobic mm -hmm. and i think these stories are also important to tell so there's still kind of vestiges of western society as well where i think such stories can be told and i think the georgian example is a very good one to go into particular country societies that seem from our you know westernized kind of backwards on these issues but i think we shouldn't forget that there are also parts of our society that still need to hear those stories and if we still talk about professional sports people coming out on a i don't know monthly basis that this still is an issue talked about then we still in our society haven't reached that state yet so i think we can agree that there is still a lot to be done there's still a lot of stories to be told there are a great amount of queer themed movies out there i think a few we just presented today I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed one year of Ready for Close-Up so far with us. I enjoyed it tremendously. How about you? I enjoyed it even more. So stay tuned and join us again next time when we are again Ready for Close-Up. Oh. oh my God, we came together. <laughs> so guys, that's all. By the way, for those who haven't figured it out yet, we gay. So Sam, talk about you coming up. <laughs> no, um... So Andy, how was it? How was your first time? This is for another episode, girl. <laughs> We're not I finished. We're I not finished with this. Okay. I can cut this shit out. <laughs> oh my god, I cried. I cried like a baby. Oh, it's fine, it's fine. Who wrote this? Who wrote this shit? Christina! <laughs> Get me the wig! Oh, what is the quote? Get me the axe! Oh, dear, just It's just a long sentence. Catch your breath! Go. Go through it! You can do it! Come on! Set almost entirely in the apartment of famous fashion designer Petra von Kant, who falls in <laughs> Set almost entirely in the apartment of famous fashion designer Petra von Kant. <laughs> Damn girl. <laughs> Would you cut it? <laughs> Kant. You're my favorite Petra von Kant. <laughs> now you cursed it. <laughs> mm. Starting over again. <laughs>